You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Sunday night, a special shout a Buffalo football podcast. Is back in your life, and he is the beautiful, the bright, the shiny Ryan Talbot, live in color. You look wonderful, my friend. How was the vacation? And it is good to actually see you again with the with the lighting situation <laughs> being back to normal. Yeah, vacation was great. Really nice to recharge for a few weeks in Arizona with some family, but I am ready for football season, Matt. We are days away. We are locked and loaded here. Uh, I I was out in Orchard Park today. Got a chance to talk to Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, Von Miller. We'll we'll get into all of that throughout the course of this show. And of course, as always, Shout a Football Podcast is brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more barbecues, tailgating, on a road trip to see your favorite team. Wink, wink. Maybe this weekend i don't know if it's technically a road trip this week this uh this thursday ryan because i feel like most people that are going unless you live on the west coast you're probably flying but we'll, we'll say road trip wherever the football season finds you make sure to stop at tops for the best deals in town from fresh meat to locally grown produce tops has everything you need and so much more for meal time snack time or anytime tops at your table since 1962 i want to lay out the show here for everybody watching we're going to do the burning questions, the big burning questions that remain after all of training camp, all of the preseason roster uh, construction down to 53 players. I want to get into what we're thinking about here just days ahead of the game. We'll get into some of the things that we heard in Orchard Park today. We talked, like I mentioned, to Josh Allen, Von Miller, some really good stuff, Stefan Diggs as well. Then we'll get into some takeaways from the first depth chart. Ryan put up a story on the website. You can go check that out. Uh, And then we will even get a little bit into at the end, uh, Brandon Bean's press conference from a few days ago. We never did a show after that. So we'll give you some uh, reaction there. But let's start out with Ryan, our number one big burning question. And I think we have to start at the cornerback position. Tredavious White was placed on pup like we always thought it was going to happen that way. He will miss the first four games of the season. What that means is you're going against a Los Angeles Rams offense, one of the best in the league, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Matthew Stafford, with Dane Jackson and probably Kyer Elam on the other side. Maybe at least to start, who knows, maybe they get Christian Benford in there. Maybe Sean McDermott really throws a curveball and we get Christian Benford to start. We'll see. But I think that big burning question is how are those young cornerbacks going to hold up. Listen, I know Dane Jackson last year, Ryan, he stepped in for Trey White, but he had Levi Wallace, uh, a veteran player that had started a lot of games in this league. Now, Dane Jackson stepping into that veteran starting CB1 role, and then you have the rookies on the other side, likely. 
I mean, what are your expectations and how concerning should it be the cornerback situation right now going to the opener? I mean, I think there's a, a fair level of concern and it's just because we don't know what these guys are going to do when, when the lights are the brightest. And it's going to be some pretty bright lights on Thursday night. NFL kickoff, biggest game, our first game of the, the 2022 season. It, all eyes are going to be on the, the Bills and the Rams. And as you mentioned, no Trey White out there. And, and you're going to be going with some young cornerbacks on the outside. Now, Cooper Cup, you know, I think Taron Johnson will be assigned him quite often because Cup does a lot of his damage in the slot. Uh, but it, if you ever see him on the outside or Allen Robinson, if Van Jefferson can go, they have a really good roster of wide receivers. And this is going to be a true test for these young guys, Kyrie Elam, Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, when he gets rotated in uh, this week. And then even week three against Miami, I, I know Tua is not Matthew Stafford, uh, but I think that the wide receivers on Miami are going to present a challenge as well to this, uh, these cornerbacks. The silver lining here, Matt, is that Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are likely going to be good to go. Poyer looks good. Sean McDermott pretty much alluded to the fact that he'd be surprised if he wasn't out there on Thursday night. So with those safeties back there, they should help in, in terms of uh, how, how the Bills want to line up, I guess, with Leslie Frazier in terms of, okay, who do we double? How do we want to take maybe Cooper Cup away? How do we want to take Allen Robinson away? Make life easier for Kyrie Elam, perhaps in his first NFL game. Whatever the case may be, having two all-pro level safeties will at least help soften that blow a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I got a couple thoughts on this. And, you know, I, I don't know if Taron Johnson, it is great to have him, right? Like he's one of the top slot corners in the league. I don't know necessarily if you're going to want to live in a world with two young corners on the boundary with Taron Johnson one-on-one -on -one with Cooper Cup regularly over the course of the game. I don't know if that's going to necessarily be a recipe for success. Um, I asked Sean McDermott about Taron Johnson today. It was interesting. I, I don't know what to glean from it, but I basically said, listen, without Trey White back there and without Levi Wallace, is it nice to have Taron Johnson in his fifth season, a guy that maybe you can rely on? And he just this stiff arm me, man. He did not want to get too far into talking up Taron Johnson in the slightest. And I don't know if it was, all right, I want to put anything out there that puts any extra pressure on Taron Johnson. Obviously, he's going to have to cover Cooper Cup in the opener. But just from my perspective, it would be nice to have a guy that you just gave almost market level, you know, money to contract money to last year when they when they re-upped his deal. You know, you could put a little bit of the pressure on Taron Johnson because he's kind of got to lead that CBU group. I mean, he did say that, you know, none of those players shy away from leading and stepping into a leadership role. I'm hoping to get a chance to talk to Taron Johnson tomorrow. But I do think they're going to have to rely on him. They're going to have to get creative. Like you mentioned, those safeties are going to be a huge component of all this. And I asked Micah and Jordan today about, all right, you've seen a, a lot now from Kyrie and, you know, less so from Christian Benford. And, you know, what are your takeaways? And he's like, Micah Hyde said, Kyrie Elam is in his book every single day. He's asking the right kind of questions, which are important. And he said definitively, whoever ends up out there because of the next man up mentality that the Bills have, he trusts them. And I feel like hearing that, if you're Kyrie Elam or Christian Benford right now, you feel pretty good about that. Dane Jackson is used to it. I mean, he's been thrown in the fire since his rookie year. I remember as a rookie, as a seventh rounder, getting thrown out there against DeAndre Hopkins in that Cardinals game. So he's mm. kind of used to this. But then I asked Jordan Poyer about it a few minutes later. And I specifically, I changed gears a little bit. I asked him specifically about Kyrie Elam. And he said, yeah, everything's been great with Kyrie. But he was quick to mention Christian Benford and Dane Jackson. And I think that the fact that he forced Benford's name in there 
I don't know. I don't want to take too much away from it, but I do think that there's going to be a role here for Christian Benford as soon as Thursday night. I think that's a fair assumption. I mean, uh, someone that shined in training camp and, and in the preseason, you, you know, it, it's tough to get him into a starting role out of the gate on Thursday night. But just like Sean McDermott rotates the defensive line, why wouldn't you rotate your cornerbacks if you have faith in a guy like Benford to get in there uh, to, to see how he holds up against a, a really good passing attack? Benford's answered every challenge thrown his way thus far. I don't see why you wouldn't, why, why you would shy away from him now, at least. Now, it, it could be that the moment ends up, you know, the, the lights are too bright for some of these young kids. They might ha- make their mistakes, but that's how they also get better. Uh, you learn from mistakes in these situations. Get them out there. Let these young guys get their reps. Hope that the defensive line steps up as well. If you can get the your, your Von Millers, your Ed Olivers, Greg Russo and company to force that pressure on Matthew Stafford, make him feel uncomfortable in the pocket, make him get rid of the ball a little bit quicker. That will also obviously help these young cornerbacks in such a big game. Um, there's a good question in here. Actually, let me bring it up from Alex over on YouTube. Wouldn't the Rams come out running because everyone expects them to pick on the rookies? And I think that that's a really you know, astute observation. And I think, you know, even Jordan Poyer said it today. It's like, listen, they know the, the style of offense that the Rams play. They want to run the ball, right? They want to run it with Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson. They want to put that kind of pressure on you. So it opens up the pass game and then you have to respect the play action even more. So I think, I don't think that there's any um, mystery about that on the Bills side. They know they're going to come, you know, set the tone up front, you know, get in the backfield, cause some chaos, not only in the passing game, but in the run game as well. And that's where I kind of start to look on the defensive line. And we can maybe move into another question that I, that I posed to you. And, and maybe I can even change it a little bit because it was more geared on Boogie Basham. But I want to ask you, Von Miller, you know what you're going to get from him. I, and I even think you have a good idea of what the interior is going to look like when they rotate four deep. I think all four of those guys can do multiple things. Maybe D- Daquan Jones being the least of – um you know, the versatility, he's going to, he's going to play a specific role. The other guys can kind of do both, but what do you think about opposite Von Miller or outside of Von Miller in that defensive end group? Where are you power ranking in terms of impact the rest of the three? And what's the gap in between those three? That, that to me is a burning question. I, I made it about Boogie Basham. Like what role is he going to, going to have? Because I think over the course of the summer, we saw the least amount from him. But I also think it's it's interesting enough, like, all right, maybe you get something, a modest improvement from Epinesa and a modest improvement from Basham and you get what you expect out of Lawson. Are you getting a significant jump from Greg Rousseau? Do you need a significant jump from him? Where do you kind of land in terms of what's going to be, uh, what, what the other three defensive ends are going to give uh, three or four to this de- defensive line? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, with, with Greg Rousseau, I don't think you need to see a significant jump. You just need to see the next step in his game. And, and I will say I was watching uh, Stefan Diggs recently on, uh, he did a, quite a few media spots this week. I think it was on uh, the Pat McAfee show, though, and he couldn't remember Rousseau's name, last name, or maybe he couldn't, he was afraid of mispronouncing it, but he was really hyping up Greg Rousseau in terms of what he's seen from him this summer. And I, I think Part of that is true. I think that he he really did shine at times during training camp. He had his moments. I also think life's going to be easier for him in year two because of the 
expectations of knowing what to expect, having Von Miller opposite having Ed Oliver uh, in that defensive tackle role where I think he's going to create havoc as well. But I just think you need a regular, you know, not anything significant from him in terms of a leap from year one to year two. You just need that normal uh, progression that you you see from these young players with promise. And I think the Bills will be happy with that. Uh, after Rousseau, you know, I'm going Epinesa. Epinesa was another player that Diggs mentioned specifically by name. And you and I were both very hesitant every time that we, we saw him make plays. It felt like the training camp because a lot of the days they weren't in pads. And it's like, OK, mm-hmm. well, he, he made plays, but. Can he do it when the pads are on, when it when it's uh, more of like a game situation? I think he showed enough this summer to, that the Bills said, OK, we might still have something here. There, <laughs> there might be some promise. So th- there's a gap between Russo and Epineza, but maybe not as sizable as some may think. Boogie Basham, I, I think there's more of a sizable role from Epineza to Boogie Basham. And where does Shaq Lawson fit into that? I'm not quite sure because I, I, I'm interested to see what their uh, initial inactive list looks like on Thursday night and even in week two. Try to get a feel for how they have this ranked. I know we, we saw the first depth chart, uh, but they might rotate those last two guys based on game matchups. Teams that run more heavily, maybe Shaq Lawson gets in. Um, or maybe Basham is clearly ahead of him that's going to be something to see but i i have a good feel in terms of um the, the fact that i think that rousseau and epinesa are a little bit further ahead than boogie basham at this point in time what about you yeah and i think what's more important than basham taking a huge step is epinesa closing the gap between him and rousseau if that makes sense i think that if you then have Separate from Vaughn and Shaq, because I think you know you're going to get from both of those guys. As long as Shaq's healthy, I think he's going to be the same version of the guy that he was a couple of years ago. I, 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 I've i seen enough flashes from him in preseason and in training camp to where I, I'm confident saying that. You know what you have in him. And as a matter of fact, I think you probably want to be judicious in how you use him in the regular season to try to keep him healthy. Because I'm not saying that. I don't think AJ Epinesa and or Boogie Basham can't show the kind of growth that makes you trust them down the stretch in big games and in the playoffs. But I do think that, you know, you could, I even go back to that Houston game in 2019. I thought Shaq Lawson, you know, Jerry Hughes was a monster in that game, but go back and watch that game. I think a lot of Bills fans will be surprised at how well uh, Shaq Lawson played in that game. I don't think he had any sacks, but the pressures were there. What he's able to do against the run. And, you you know, this might be a situation where you're talking about the game day inactives. What Shaq does on the edge consistently, especially in the run game, I think you'll want to lean on that against a team like the Rams in week one. Yeah, week one, week two against the Titans. I mean, there's going to be some interesting you know, choices, I guess, that have to be made by this coaching staff as each week approaches in terms of what is best for us on a week by week basis. Got ourselves Carl Tommen on YouTube. Uh, anytime you have a super chat in here, we're going to bring it right up. We'll uh, pause the conversation. We're two burning questions in. We're going to get through a couple more here. We got a lot uh, to cover on this episode of the show. And oh, by the way, should have done this at the top, Ryan, but just to lay out our week a little bit, I'm hoping to do it'll probably be on the earlier side uh, Wednesday in terms of when we do the show. So keep an eye out for that. It might be at like four thirty, five o'clock on Wednesday, just because of all the commitments I have on the ground in LA, uh, getting our, our big show, our preview show in, it's just going to have to work that way. So um, stay tuned on time. Uh, but I'm hoping to do 
one show from LA. I don't know the location yet. I'll keep you posted on that as well. Might actually be right outside of SoFi Stadium. Why the heck not, right? And so we'll see. And then obviously post-game, um, the post-game edition will serve as the final shout of the week. And that'll get us into Titans week. We won't be live again until that following Wednesday. I'm going on a little mini vacation, LA to Vegas, a couple days, get a little crazy, get a little wild. Not too wild. My wife said I'm not allowed to, but it's my 40th. It's basically my 40th birthday weekend. Uh, just making it go and see some friends. How many targets is Matthew Stafford going to have for Allen Robinson and Kyrie Elam? I think he is going to go there often and often, but Elam will have a pick, an interception. Bold prediction time, Ryan Talbot. Hot or cold, where are you at on Kyer Elam interception in, in, in game number one? A possibility. Uh, again, it's going to come down to the pass rush, the pressure. I think he's going to see a fair share of targets, so I agree with Carl there. And to answer that question, how many targets, it kind of goes back to my Levi Wall- Wallace conversation that we've had the past few years because you knew that uh, Trey White wasn't going to see a lot of targets. Levi was going to get picked on most weeks, and I always said he's going to get picked on until he makes a play. So a play like an interception, a pass breakup, uh, something that makes Stafford have to think again before really going his way or or targeting him over and over again. As soon as Elam makes that type of play, Stafford's going to say, "Okay, I have to respect the fact that he he stood uh, stepped up and made uh, you know a, a good play against me." Now, if Elam gives up reception after reception, if he gets called for a penalty, he's going to keep seeing those targets come his way. And any good veteran quarterback is going to pick on these younger cornerbacks uh, that are out there. So I expect Stafford to probably throw a lot at Elam here on Thursday night, but it's going to be all up to Elam to make that play, whether it's an interception or not. I like the bold prediction from Carl. However, I do as well. And I think that just the, I'm more interested. The targets at Elam is the um, snap share between him and Benford. That to me is what I'm most intrigued about because I think the questions are going to come furiously after the game. If Benford even plays 50% of the snaps, I mean, where are you at, Ryan, in terms of what that says about your round one rookie and Kyer Elam? I mean, I feel like the Bills have said all the right things. Brandon Bean said a couple of days ago that it comes down to playing the best football players. It's why, you know, they decided to move on from OJ Howard. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But if Christian Benford is earning those snaps, it doesn't seem like the Bills are going to have any problems giving him those snaps. But then you still have a six round rookie taking away snaps from your your round one guy. I don't think it necessarily says something about Elam as much as it says something about how good Benford has been. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a testament to, you know, this was a kid from a small school. We liked what we saw in film. We liked what we saw when we met with him. We didn't necessarily think he was going to be this good out of the gate. I don't think anyone would have expected a kid from Villanova to step up and be in can you know be in the race to possibly play starting type reps uh, for a Super Bowl contender. But that's just where we are. That's the beauty of the NFL. Sometimes you get more value out of those day three picks than you ever do out of your earlier picks. And I'm not saying that will be the case here specifically with Elam and Benford, but. If Benford has earned those reps, it doesn't mean that Elam's been bad. It just means that, hey, this guy that we got late on day three, he's risen to the occasion and he deserves to be out there because, like you said, Brandon Bean said a focal point is getting our best 53 players onto this roster and getting then our best uh, players onto the field on a game-by-game basis. 
All right. I also want to do a little activity here, Ryan. We might do it. We might revisit it uh, after I get to watch practice tomorrow, talk to get in the locker room and, and so on and so forth throughout the week. But if you look at the game day inactive potential or for Thursday, I, I, let's just take attendance here and, and what we're looking at. If you look at the Bills 53 and you're trying to come up with uh, the seven inactives, where do you start? Obviously, Quentin Morris and Tommy Doyle both not practicing today. I'm not sure where they'll be uh, rehabbing from their both of their injuries, uh, both lower body injuries. Uh, but I'd probably pencil both of those guys out. You look at, uh, I went back and looked at the inactives from the Kansas City game last year, and there was only one tight end active in that game. That's Dawson Knox. Mm-hmm. It seems like the Bills have been moving in a different direction, but if you want another easy one, you could probably make Tommy Sweeney inactive, and there you go. You have your third. The Bills had seven wide receivers last year. One of those wide receivers was inactive in Marquez Stevenson. Now they only have six, Ryan. And so that's another spot that you don't have. Do they make nine defensive linemen active? Do they maybe go without a, uh, a six linebacker in Balen Specter? A lot of different things. They have a ton of defensive backs on the 53. So where, do, where are you starting? Who do you think is your, your big name that might be an inactive that might surprise people? Because, oh, by the way, they only kept the two running backs active last year mm. because they had Taiwan Jones and Reggie Gilliam. Yeah, no, that that's a great question. In terms of a big name, I I don't know if I'd go big name, but I think it's going to come down to Boogie Basham or Shaq Lawson for one of them. And, and I think if Boogie Basham is there, unfortunately, because of the way social media works, you're going to hear more and more people saying, oh, this guy's a bust. And I don't think that's the case. Again, it comes down to game planning. It comes down to the fact that these the Rams, despite having a great passing attack, also have some really good running backs. Uh, and they might value what Lawson brings to the table more than Basham for this week one matchup. Uh, if, it, if it's over the course of the entire season, well, then yes, maybe the, the chatter can start and, and it can be a little bit more fair game. But I guess I would start there, Matt. What about you? No, yeah, I think that that that's a good place to start. It depends on how they want to run their rotation. If they are at a place where they they believe that the young pass rushers can get the job done, and um, you know maybe lean on Greg Rousseau and AJ Apinesa a little bit more than they did a year ago, then you could probably get away with the eight. But I also think that they want Shaq active just in case the other guys aren't effective, and then. You also have the, you know, Boogie Basham, like, all right, I, I, you want to get him some NFL, you know, regular season game reps, some valuable ones. He had, he had, he went in spurts last year, right? Like we didn't see him consistently over a, you know, a stretch of games, get a, a lot of action. And I don't know if there's even an opportunity for that, but I don't think you want to make him an active. And I think you get to get away with nine uh, active there. You probably go with the one tight end. The big question for me though, is James Cook. He is going to be active on Sunday or on Thursday. I, I just don't think that anything has happened over the course of preseason or training camp that makes me think that they're going to not want him in the mix. But if he's active, then what do you do? I, I think they are going to want to keep eight offensive linemen active. It gives them that extra uh, call up uh, with off of their practice squad. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of really good questions. I mean, do they keep a couple of defensive backs down? A lot of good questions that have to be answered. I think we'll have a better idea of this on Wednesday once we have a few more days to kind of chew on it all. 
Yeah, I agree with that. James Cook, though, I almost feel like, you, you know, you mentioned it. There's He's going to be active, uh, not just because of what he can do on offense, but the, the fact that even though Isaiah McKenzie practiced today, he, he was a little bit banged up going into this game. He's going to be your starting slot receiver, but he's also penciled in as the starting kick returner with Cook as the number two. Uh, so I think that Cook could end up being this team's kick returner against the Rams on Thursday night, and, and that alone makes him a very pivotal or key piece to this offense because it's if he can take one return, and I'm not saying he has to take it to the house for a touchdown, but if he can flip the field a little bit, get it out to the 35, get it out to the 40, uh, that's going to pay huge dividends for this Bills offense. We were talking to Von Miller today uh, after practice and getting his thoughts on what it's going to be like to go back there. And he was joking about, I, I wrote about it just because I thought it was just kind of funny that visualizing like the pregame stuff, not even necessarily the game day stuff. Cause I mean, at this point, Von Miller has probably seen everything in this league. I don't know how much visualization he still has to do. Although he does say he's a big fan of it, whether or not Aaron Donald's going to shake his hand or you don't want to talk to him or, or, um, uh, sorry, coach Sean McVay wants to, wants to talk to him or maybe gives him a couple crazy looks. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be all love, but it's interesting that there's so many little factors of this game, Ryan, that are, that are super intriguing because it's going to be all eyes in the country on this one game. I mean, it has a Super Bowl kind of feel, even though it's the opener. Um, and there's so many storylines, you know, from Josh Allen to Von Miller to the defending Super Bowl champions. I mean, everywhere you look, it's it's really interesting stuff. You know, the, the funny comment from that I read out of that article that you wrote about Von Miller was, um, are they going to boo me? That being the, the fans in attendance. I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Bills fans are louder than the Rams fans on Thursday night. There's going to be a lot of Rams fans in attendance. They're going to see the banner. You're going to see a lot of the Super Bowl things. But but Los Angeles is not exactly a diehard football fan base. So they, they might fill the seats with people from L.A., uh, but the Bills fans that are going to be there, and boy, by the looks of my social media, there's going to be a ton of them. They're going to be very loud. It, it might feel even more like a home game than uh, he realizes. So I don't think he's going to hear a lot of booze. He's going to hear plenty of cheers. Some from those L.A. fans that were there last year to see him win the Super Bowl, but a ton from the Bills fans in attendance as well. Ken Dorsey, uh, the Ken Dorsey era begins on Thursday, officially, now that we're to the regular season. I'm curious, this is kind of a burning question that I have. If the offense struggles, and we saw it come out slowly last year, I mean, go back to the Pittsburgh game, and you know things just weren't clicking, where is the most likely place for that to happen? Offensive line, in my opinion. Um, and, and that's nothing against Aaron Cromer. I think he's done a really good job this summer coming back here, but you have a right tackle, at least according to the depth chart, in Spencer Brown that's going to be starting at, in that key role. Missed a lot of the offseason, came back from a back procedure. The Bills apparently have seen enough to make to feel like he is their their top right tackle. Now we'll we'll see how that plays out on Thursday night in terms of maybe they still start Questenberry. Maybe it's more of a rotation as they ease him back in. Um, but this is a big matchup against a very good Rams team, Rams D line. Uh, you need to protect Josh Allen. I, I know we say that every year, and every year Josh Allen makes the offensive line look a little bit better than than it is because he scrambles away from the initial pressure. He extends plays, but I've always said, imagine if the Bills actually had a great offensive line and what Josh Allen could do. And I, I think that they have some pieces there. And if Brown can step up in and play well, maybe that comes to fruition this year. But if there was one reason and, you know, I get I guess it could also fall on the shoulders of the play calling itself. Uh, I think the offensive line is my biggest concern heading into this one. What about you, Matt? For me, it's 
if Ken Dorsey hasn't v- learned lessons from, you know, where things have kind of gone off track in the past for this offense. And, you know, I, I've been somebody that's been very complimentary of Brian Dable. I think that what he built here from a scheme perspective, from a personnel perspective with the creativity and the usage that he's had and demonstrated, he was an outstanding offensive coordinator. The one knock though, that I would bring up every once in a while is that he's stubborn at times, right? Like sometimes he would just say, okay, I have these players that I think are better than your players. And I'm going to continue to kind of go back to maybe the well a little bit too many times. And, you know, sometimes you could put, put together a game script. And I know teams tend to just script the first few plays, like the first series or whatever the case may be. But I think a lot of times, whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, you could go into a game and have a vision of what's going to work against that team. Because you're you're over and over again all week long going over the tape and, and constructing the perfect plan to beat a team. And I think sometimes, because it's at the highest level, that to be able to pivot off of some of those concepts or those constructs in your brain that were going into the game, I think that's when offensive coordinators, especially young ones, get into trouble. So if you think that you can run the ball against this front and you think it's going to be really important to do so, and you go out there and you call a couple of plays and Devin Singletary is running into the back of Ryan Bates or, or Roger Saffold and it's just not working right, you got to be able to switch things up on the fly and I do think Ken Dorsey has the ability to do that. I think some of the creativity that we've seen already in just the one series where he got to run with the starters has been really good. I think that Denver Broncos game, each team that we saw, it was consistent, moving the ball, getting the ball around, trying different things, and that's in a preseason setting. So I don't anticipate it being a problem, but I just think that if we're sitting there on Thursday night, late Thursday night, talking about where things went wrong for this offense – it could come back to just being a little bit too stubborn in whatever plan they were they were trying to accomplish against the Rams defense. And it's a good Rams defense. You're gonna you're probably going to have to change plans in the game because of who you're going against. Yeah, and, and it could be the exact opposite. It could be that they come out with a very pass-heavy script, but when they do give the ball to Singletary and company, they're moving it mm-hmm. well. Are you w- willing to adjust your game plan? Are you willing to uh, prolong, have these long drives that obviously keeps the Rams' offense off the field, and there's benefits to that? So being able to pivot, being able to learn from past mistakes, like you said, I think that's a great talking point, something that you know he, he wasn't necessarily sitting there next to Brian Dable uh, every single week, I'm sure he was up there quite a bit. I'm sure they had tons of conversations after losses, after tough losses where things weren't going uh, well or things didn't go according to plan. And what has he learned in those past few seasons when he was the quarterback's coach that he can then now take and learn from that as the offensive coordinator? What's been really great to learn about is the super chats. And this one's been sitting on the uh, screen here for a few minutes. Uh, are you expecting the blue on blue unis? I am. That's what the bills offense was wearing today. I think I saw somebody post uh, something on whether it be Twitter or Instagram, yeah, Instagram, of, someone's Instagram story. Yeah. The locker room usually has a player that had, and it looked like a Von, a Von Miller, um, mannequin uh dialed up in uh, the blue on blue so i think that that's the what's gonna you're gonna see on thursday i'm expecting everybody to make a trip to uh tops either today tomorrow tuesday or wednesday because the sizzle of the grill popping open a refreshing drink crowds cheering on their favorite team these are the beautiful sounds of football season and tops is right there with you from fresh meat to locally grown produce tops has everything you need and so much more Tops at your barbecue since 1962. Uh, and speaking of 
Gotta have it this week. Value Home Centers, your hometown team. Uh, it is your last chance, your absolute last chance to stock up on summer outdoor essentials. Shop outdoor furniture, fire pits, tables, grills, garden tools, and outdoor decor. They're probably pretty much picked through, Ryan, because we've been talking about this for the past month. And I know everybody listening to the Shout Podcast has gone and uh, gotten themselves some some outdoor gear from Value Home Centers. Um, but yeah, you can still stock up here in the last few uh, last few days of the sales. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, uh, let's go to uh, another burning question here. How can the Bills avoid an opening game dud for the second straight season? And that's something that I actually asked uh, a couple people about today. It's a, it's a story that I'm going to be writing over the next couple of days, and I think it's a, a valid question that you sent along because – Things were, you know, not this high last year, right? Like the Super Bowl favorite storyline wasn't really percolating last year. It was a a team that had overachieved in 2020 and the expectations were that if they took a step last year, it could have been a trip to the Super Bowl. So there were high expectations. And then they, they had that really good preseason game where Josh Allen played and then they went against Pittsburgh and it was absolutely just terrible. I mean, they just couldn't do anything on offense. So I guess I want to start there. Like, how do they avoid hitting any roadblocks from an offensive perspective, especially um, because you're going on the road, you're going up against another team that can score points. So, you know, you want to be able to, if the Rams kind of own the line of scrimmage early, if they're having success on defense, if, you know, from a Bill's perspective, if, you know, fans perspective, you don't want to see turnovers, but if that starts to happen, how do you pivot? How do you change course? And I asked Josh Allen about that today. And he said, listen, Sean McDermott does a really good job of putting the offense in really stressful positions throughout preseason, throughout training camp, when they're going up against the Bills defense, which is one of the best in the league and likely going to be even better now with the addition of Von Miller and forcing them to play in bad spots. And so they're, they're going into this having already felt a lot of that over the last month and a half. Now you could probably make the argument and come back and say, well, shouldn't they have had that last year against what ended up being the number one defense? Yes. But I also think there's an element to this. That's important is this, this is now year three going into year three, the core of Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox, and Devin Singletary. That group now has been together. This will be, their third straight season. So they've gone through the ups and downs together as a group. And I think that there just might be more answers when things aren't going well because of that continuity. And Steph, Stefan Diggs agreed with that today, going through some of the fires that they have. He, he referenced that Jacksonville game specifically. It's almost like you can, you can call upon that when things are going bad. 
Yeah. You know, everyone remembers last year. I, I know you were right. They weren't Super Bowl favorites last year, but people expected them to do to, to defeat Pittsburgh at home and older Ben Roethlisberger, but it didn't work out that way. The, the offensive line was beat up that entire game by the defensive line. The bills just couldn't get in sync. They had a blocked punt. I guess my biggest uh, takeaway would be, if you make a mistake, you have to forget it very quickly, whether that's on offense, defense, whatever the case may be. If you give up a long touchdown reception, you know, you, you got to move on to the next play. You can't let things like that linger. If you throw an interception, same thing. And, and I don't think Josh Allen uh, w- would be gun shy in terms of, of throwing the ball after a turnover or anything like that. But limit your turnovers, limit your mistakes. And I, I think that this is a, a team uh, that the Bills can definitely defeat, even without their top cornerback on the field. But Yeah, it just comes down to simply trusting your playmakers because, as you mentioned, the core of this team has been together for so many years now. Trust that Stefan Diggs is going to be Stefan Diggs and make plays, that Dawson Knox is going to step up uh, like he did one season ago, that Gabriel Davis is in line for this monster season that a lot of people are projecting. Go to your playmakers, trust them, but also kind of spread it out like Josh Allen has done throughout his career. Um, I think, um, you know, Jamison Crowder to me is interesting. Um, Isaiah McKenzie practiced today. It seems like he's trending in a really good direction. I think, um, it was Brandon Bean said a couple of days ago that they're going to have to work their tails off to, to hold him back if, cause he wants to play. I mean, he's, he's gearing up to try to play. He looked like he was moving well out there. It didn't look like we didn't get an injury report. So I don't know if we'll get, uh, one tomorrow or not. Uh, we should get some one at some point here and it'll be interesting to see if he's listed as limited or full. It looked like he was full, but we only saw him in the media portion of practice. So it's hard to, to tell, but if he's all good to go, right. And this is another thing I want to kind of harken back to our earlier conversation about the inactives. So you got Diggs, Davis, Kumaro, you figure is going to be active for special teams. Then you figure Khalil Shakir is going to be active because he's their number one punt returner. Then you have McKenzie. If he's good to go, if he's 100% healthy and they trust that, do they then try to open up a spot and go, you know, linebacker heavy or defensive line heavy and and keep Jamison Crowder back? Or do they want that versatility to be able to use him in whatever packages they want for him? I, I, it's something we're talking about. I, I would probably lean toward Crowder playing, but I'd be interested to hear your, th- your thoughts. Yeah, and it might not even be defensive line heavy or something. It might just be special teams in terms of, okay, can we make Jameson Crowder inactive to get one of these other core special teamers or someone that we think could be a core special teamer in this matchup on the field, on out there for those reps? Because like you said, if Isaiah McKenzie's out there and he's good to go, you don't have a huge role for Crowder. And if something, if you even have any concerns about Isaiah McKenzie, Khalil Shakir can take on that slot role in, in game one. And I think the Bills would feel very confident confident in him he can play outside but he, he you know he was projected as being like this um a, a really good potential slot receiver so that's another reason where maybe the bills don't go with crowder in this match if they really do have these decisions to make on special teams or like you alluded to go d line heavy go off go with that extra offensive line and go with another tight end whatever that decision is i like crowder i think crowder can be a difference maker for this team in different games uh but it, but it comes down to the situations on a week by week basis and if you already feel good about where isaiah mckenzie's at knowing that you have a backup that would be ready in khalil shakir maybe you don't have to make him active on thursday night could it come down to also the role you envision for james cook 
I mean, we we know that the Bills are probably going to want to use him as a receiver, maybe not always lined up in, you know, out wide or in the slot. But if you have a portion of your game plan that dials some passing opportunities uh, up for him, I think that then you look at Jamison Crowder and say, all right, where do we fit you in to the game plan? It might just be a week to week thing where, you know, depending on the team that they play, like, I think it doesn't matter. I think, it, I think Jamison Crowder is probably, you know, he's probably better against certain matchups, but I, I think he's a veteran guy that can, you know, provide a specific um, thing in this offense. I just think if you're looking for numbers, this might be a week where you can get away with some things. And I think cook, that's the interesting one to me. It's almost like you might get down to that conversation in the room. Do we go with cook versus Crowder or maybe like how does Cook's special teams factor in? Are, are they going to use him in kick return? I know that they have Isaiah McKenzie listed there, but that could be interesting as well. Isaiah McKenzie working back from the injury. Is it something where you don't want to use him on kickoffs? All these kinds of questions are going to probably be what's percolating in the building this week. Yeah, and I saw a question in the chat about do you think the Bills will have all you know four backs active in that, including Taiwan Jones? I think there's a very good possibility. Uh, Devin Singletary, obviously, he's he's their number one back. Zach Moss looked the best he's looked, I think, in a Bills uniform this summer. Uh, I think they would like to give him a shot to be that short yardage goal line type player. James Cook catching the ball of the backfield. I think I still think even though he's listed number two on the kick returner chart, I would not be shocked if he is the kick returner this week and all season long because of uh, the role they envision for Isaiah McKenzie. I think you give Cook that shot and until he, you know, unless he's, proves otherwise you keep him back there and obviously Taiwan Jones being their their special teams ace is active it's a tough decision but if we had to get down to it because I see right here and in the super chat Matt I think you need to sit Moss and have five wide receivers ready if I were to make a running back inactive unfortunately it probably would be Moss just because of what Cook can do as the return man for this team and you need someone back there especially in a week where Isaiah McKenzie might not truly be a hundred percent he might be a full participant a full go but that doesn't mean you're a hundred percent in week one uh in this situation yeah I, I could see that Jason being a possibility all right a couple more things I want to get to let's start with your biggest takeaways from the first depth chart Ryan because you put up a story about that let's get into a couple of our our reactions to that yeah, so uh, let's start with right tackle. What was your uh, you know, initial thoughts on them listing Spencer Brown as the starting right tackle? I know that if he, if he was completely healthy all summer, I, I don't think there would have been any question, anyone really looking into that. But considering the amount of time he missed this summer, were you at least a little bit surprised by the fact that the Bills had him listed as their starting right tackle out of the gate? No, and only because when we were talking to Brandon Bean about training Cody Ford, you know, he mentioned, you know, the guys that were basically who were going to start on this team. And, you know, the first person that he mentioned when he said right tackle was Spencer Brown. So even as he was kind of slowly working his way back, as long as he was, he reached a level of being able to play, he was going to get the nod because Questenberry, you know what you have in him. He's a versatile player, but I think at his best, he's probably not going to even touch what they're hoping Spencer Brown could be in year two. Now he's missed a lot of time. So it's definitely, you know, you're taking a chance there. I, I think it's interesting that, you know, Bobby Hart uh, is listed as the top interior left guard. He's not even uh, written on here at either of the tackle spots. So he actually made the roster as a guard, which is, 
really an unbelievable uh, transition. I, I did write that story on him. It is not live yet. I'm kind of saving it now. You know, as we get through the 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 the, the um, preseason and everything like that, trying to find a place for all these stories is you got to be uh, got to be able to you know put them up when it when it makes sense. And I never thought that it really made sense, especially if he was just going to get cut. Uh, so now that he's made the team, it's it's kind of taking another layer. I'm going to do another level to it, and it'll be out soon enough. But yeah, Bobby Hart making the team that was to me the biggest offensive line takeaway from the depth chart because of where I feel like they see him now. He basically took Cody Ford's spot, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I agree completely with that. That's the spot that he took. The bills felt confident enough that uh, there wasn't a significant drop off in, in his play compared to what they would get from Ford. You could get some good value for Ford from Arizona. So they, they felt like that was kind of a, a win for them. Uh, let's, let's do one more depth chart observation before we get this next super chat up here. Quinton Morris, uh, were you at all surprised that he was at listed as tight end too? I was not. I thought that he had earned that role. And, and if you weren't surprised, what do you see his role being on this offense this year, Matt? I wasn't surprised. Um, I think that the fact that um, I thought it was probably more between Sweeney and Howard than it was maybe Morris and Howard. After I went back and really thought about it because of how much they use Morris. It's almost like, the real telltale sign for how much they like a player is how many positions they have him play. And when we saw Quentin Morris in that last preseason game getting some run at fullback, I'm like, I can just see Sean McDermott and company just sitting back and just loving everything that they're seeing from Quentin Morris. And, you know, you're around him a little bit in the locker room and the dude is just like, he's got like a really good vibe about him, right? He's always smiling. He's got a really good demeanor to him. And I think that those kinds of guys – OJ Howard's been through a lot in this league, man. Like to come in with the expectations that were put on him and to underperform and to deal with all the injuries, he walked around with that in the locker room. I felt, you know, on the field, like just the, the weight of that. And I think to sometimes it might be like, that's just not a fit. I'd rather take, if all things are equal from a playing perspective. And I don't think anybody's going to sit here and argue that Quentin Morris is like, tears better than OJ Howard, right? Like we haven't seen Quentin Morris do much in a regular season NFL game. I don't, I just think sometimes we overreact to preseason. OJ Howard didn't have a good off season, didn't have a good um, summer, but you know, he's still a guy that was a former first round pick, but I just think sometimes it's, you reach a point where you want a specific kind of guy or package in your building. I think that's what Morris was. Yeah. And, you know, I will say the one word I would use with with Morris in the conversation with OJ Howard is upside. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't know what he's going to be necessarily as an NFL tight end, but the upside is significantly more than what you're going to get from OJ Howard at this point in his career. Injuries have limited his athleticism. I still think he'd be a very good blocking tight end for uh, for a team or for you know wherever he goes from the rest of his career. I know he's already landed in, in a new home for this season, but uh, wherever he plays for the rest of his, his career, maybe it's more of a blocking tight end now, and that's okay. You, there are players that have carved out 10-plus-year careers as blocking tight ends, but he's not the O.J. Howard that maybe the Bills thought they were going to get when they signed him this offseason. I was a little surprised he didn't stick as number three just because of the cap hit, not anything to do with the actual play. The fact that Brandon Bean was willing to absorb that, I know Bean spoke on it and said we had the money to do it, we were okay with it. Uh, But, yeah, you know, Quentin Morris, I'm interested to see how much he plays this year. 
if he can be a factor on the field, but the upside was at least there for him when it came to a comparison to OJ Howard. Breaking news here, and then we'll get to the super chat from Carl. Thanks, buddy. Second super chat from Carl Tomlin on YouTube. He's a beast. On the Odell Beckham Jr. front, and this is a storyline that we're following, obviously, um, I thought it was interesting today that DeMar Hamlin has a new number. It's number three. Um, I don't know if maybe the Bills were serious about Odell Beckham Jr., Ryan Talbot, would they maybe steer their young safety away from the number three to keep it open? Or maybe did they say, take it, DeMar, and maybe it could be so, you know, a financial opportunity uh, <laughs> down the line. We'll see. Also, another piece of news, Odell Beckham Jr. reportedly, according to Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic, still has a full locker with nameplate in the Rams locker, which just got opened up to the LA media today. Um, Brandon Bean said, when is the last time you can remember me not checking in on a talented player when a talented player is available? So that's not, he is certainly not closing the door, but just the latest OBJ update, a couple little nuggets there and uh, passing them along. Yeah. Hey, if I'm DeMar Hamlin and I, I've seen all these stories and I've seen Von Miller recruiting him, I'd go to number three, even if it wasn't a number that was important to me. That's a, that's an extra payday that you could potentially get if he joins the Bills. Uh, interesting that the Rams still have a locker full of his stuff. Obviously, we've heard the storylines of the Rams want him back when he's healthy. Uh, and I think that they will vie for his services. Um, but and then the last thing on Brandon Bean, you know, he said multiple times, or I've actually heard Ian Rapport say the Bills are in on everyone. They're always in on people, whether you hear about it or not. They're always doing their due diligence, and that speaks to what Brandon Bean said. There, we didn't do a story on it. I, I would have liked to have done it at the time. But did you see that athletic story where um, I think it was Mike Sando, or it might have been ESPN? I can't remember which one it was. Now, apologies. I'll, I'll try to find it and mention it and credit it in the future episode. Um, they did a poll of from I think it was agents and who are the most trusted general managers in the league and the most trusted general manager from the agents end was Brandon Bean with mm-hmm. I think it was four four votes. Not surprising. I mean, obviously he has a lot of, a good relationship with all of them, but I thought it was interesting. That is interesting, and it, and that you know goes to how he's built this roster. The fact that, um, in, in most cases, he's been able to you know retain young guys, extend them, and that obviously works in the agents' favors too. But he's also very transparent with agents across the board for whatever the reason is. All right, super chat time, Carl. Who has more sacks in game number one? The combo of Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, and Justin Hollins. Or Von Miller, Ed Oliver, and Greg Rousseau prediction for the game. Von Miller gets one. Oh, I don't think that's a prediction for a game because you know this is not the preview ep- episode, Carl. You know we can't we can't uh, we can't give the goods out just yet. You got to wait for Wednesday's show for the prediction. Uh, which, by the way, I think I already gave the Channel Seven for that pregame show, so I'm a liar. <laughs> uh, but go ahead, Ryan. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the Bills end, and this isn't because we're a Bills podcast or anything like that. It's because I look at the quarterbacks, and I've seen Josh Allen elude multiple pass rushers throughout his career, extend plays, throwing the ball, extend plays, running away, and gaining positive yards. I just think that he's able to limit the opposing team's sack number based on his athleticism, where I can't say the same about Matthew Stafford. Stafford can, he has a little escapability, uh, but let's just say that the, the elbow is not 100%. I could see him just getting down 
and letting the, the defensive lineman kind of tap him on the shoulder pad to, to count for a sack at a few times if the Bills are bringing extra heat, if things like that happen. So of this scenario, I'll lean with Von Miller at Oliver and Greg Rousseau. If we're just talking team count, though, I'll also go with the Bills as well. Uh, I just think that uh, Allen's able to uh, elude a lot of that pressure that some quarterbacks cannot. I agree with you. I'm not going to go too much more into it. Uh, I think that um, I think Von Miller does get a sack. Uh, I think I will say that that's uh, the prediction. And I just don't I just don't think Josh Allen gets sacked, sacked a ton uh, unless this offensive line is just absolutely incapable. There is an L.A. Bills backers bar. I know some people are talking about it in the comments section. There, there's a bunch of events happening on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, I think I've retweeted a couple of them, but I think there's an LA Bills backers on Twitter. That's probably the best place to find details like uh, game week details for parties, get togethers. I'm actually heading out to um, one in particular. So if you want to meet me, this is the place to come on Wednesday night. We're doing a show at the stadium at SoFi that I'm heading over to. Uh, let me see Hermosa beach. I'm retweeting it right now. So if you're really interested in it, go over to Twitter. I can't on the sheet, see where the actual spot is. There's actually an RSVP. So you got to get it. You got to get way ahead of this. It's a bills backers official welcome party. Uh, 52 pier Avenue, Hermosa beach, California. Uh, I'm going to be doing a live show as are a few other local media personalities with Sal Capaccio. So, um, you're going to want to get over there. Uh, check that out. There's going to be a bunch of people up there. Uh, that'll be fun. And who knows if there's a, if there's multiple parties, I'll see what I can do. I, I don't have anything to do. We don't have to get up early on Thursday. Maybe I'll try to make it out to another one. So if you're headed to another one and it's going to be going later on, let me know the details and maybe I'll pop out to that as well. Listen, when you're, when you're West coast living, Ryan, you got to hit the beaches, you got to hit the parties. Like, you know, I, I want to experience everything uh, that Bill's mafia has to offer going. I mean, I feel like the game is going to be absolutely intense. I, th- I think there's going to be a big time presence at the game. Yeah. And listen, West coast living, it's not a bad thing. When I was out there for two weeks, getting to catch a bills game at 10 AM, let me tell you, that was not a bad thing instead of those 1 PM kickoffs, which, which are fine. But yeah, there's, there's something to that. I like the earlier times, the weather, the nightlife, everything that you mentioned. Any, any other burning questions you want to hit up? There's one on Devin Singletary that I like that you threw our, our way. Yeah, let's hit that real quick. All right. Um, and, and I think it ties into what we were talking about a little bit earlier. You know, going into the season, I feel like Devin Singletary is a lock to play. Uh, I think he's probably a lock to play active-wise all season long, right? I mean, he's he's their running back one. I, I don't envision that changing. But ultimately, what I think is going to be really interesting to watch is how this plays out over the course of the season, knowing who – is under roster control beyond the season and who isn't. And Devin Singletary starts as RB1. The burning question is, does he end the season that way? They spent a higher draft pick on James Cook. Not a ton higher, but around higher. And he's somebody that, whether or not he turns into uh, an every down back this season, or ever, I mean, I mean, there's some people that might argue that maybe that's never going to be his role. But I, I do think that there is real potential for him to be maybe the you know, flip-flop with Devin Singletary, where Singletary goes somewhere else, perhaps. Zach Moss stays in that backup role, and James Cook ultimately becomes RB1 in the next season. Could that happen by the end of the season? I don't know if I'd sit here and say and and definitively rule it out. I I think Devin Singletary has been in this game, has too many NFL carries, unless he's injured. I don't see that flipping. But I think Cook's involvement is going to get ratcheted up quite a bit over the course of the season. 
And I agree with that latter point, but I do see Devin Singletary starting as running back one and ending the season as running back number one for this team. Uh, He's the most proven entity. He really had a great end of the season last year. I thought he looked really good this summer at uh, during the preseason. And even though this is the last year on his rookie deal, uh, the Bills aren't going to to mess with the, you know the, their running back position based on who's going to be under control in 2023. They're going to get their best player out there on the field uh, because they they're trying to win a Super Bowl this season. So I think Singletary starts and end, ends the year as running back number one. But I also agree that James Cook cuts into his snap count a little bit as the year progresses, because in addition to being a a guy that can catch the ball in the backfield, I like the extra gear that he brings where if he can get past that first line of defense, he could be off to the races. And, you know, the the bills have been looking for a player like that for many years. uh, And I think he can fill that role. Devin Singletary. What is his career high in rushing Ryan Talbot in a season? How many yards rushing? Throw it out there. Just guess it. 750. He had 870 yards last year. 775 okay. his rookie season. So that was that was actually pretty close. Uh, yeah, he came on really to... strong. No, I, yeah, I've <laughs> nothing up to to look at. But yeah, I mean, he came on really strong last season where it was like 78 or 79 yards, total yards overall from like the Patriots game on, the first Patriots game on. So he was a big factor in that offense down the stretch, and he picked up a lot of yards down, you know, in those last handful of games. Mm-hmm. I just, I think that there's going to get, this thing's going to get split around too much, and I still think it's predominantly an, uh, uh, a pass first offense to where I don't think anybody's going to run for a thousand yards. And I listen, I know that they play pay at lift service. And every year we talk about the reduced role of Josh Allen in the run game, but until we t- see a significantly reduced role, I'm just not going to count on it because I think a lot of what he does isn't, it's not about being scripted. It's about feeling what to do with the ball. Uh, once it's in his hands, especially out in space and once out of structure. So I'm just not there. I don't think anybody on the roster, even if it was like a, you know, maybe if it was like a running back, if they had one guy at the top and everybody else was significantly lower, I'd say there's a chance. But I just I don't see a thousand yard runner on this roster. No, no. Between Allen and the, the three backs, they're probably all going to get their fair share of chances and reps throughout the year. I agree with that. But if Singletary comes out on Thursday night and rips rips one for 200, I'm changing it. I reserve the right to change my take if that happens on Thursday night. All right. Ryan Talbot, we've been going for an hour. We're going to wrap up. We got another We got another big show coming up on Wednesday night, so we can't give it all away. Um, thank you so much to everybody for, for coming on on this Sunday. I know that there's some college football on tonight. Uh, we so much appreciate you spending uh, your Sunday night with us as we try to get you ready for this Thursday night when the Bills take on the LA Rams in the season opener. Um, make sure, you know, whether it's your child's first birthday party, holiday feast, or Thursday night football, Head over to Tops. It's proud to have been at your table for the past 60 years, and it looks forward to 60 more Tops at your table since 1962. All right. He's Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. We will be back on Wednesday night from L.A. Have a good week, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.